I'd love to encourage you guys to bring your, bring your paper Bible. Um, no, nothing wrong with you having an electronic Bible. I just find it so helpful to have the paper one because Tetris isn't on the paper one. And uh, whatever else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't have the new ESV Tetris Bible? <laughs> There's a Game Boy in the middle of it. Do you guys know what Game Boys are? Just checking. <laughs> they still make Game Boys? No, they make DSs. Gotcha. Just wondering, like, what's the point with phones now? <laughs> Those are basically just for the kids who don't have phones, right? Yeah. Or want to play Nintendo games. Nintendo games? So, like, Nintendo doesn't have an app that you can just play all their games? Not quite yet. Okay. They're, they're holding out. Well, we're going to be in uh, Chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Exodus. This is an interesting one, guys. Um, the title this morning is just When Following God Makes Life Hard. When Following God Makes Life Hard. All right, that's our title for this morning. Um, and so I want to begin by just an illustration of have you ever experienced when you feel like life is kind of like coming together, things are falling into place, and then it all just falls apart again? Okay? Think about that for a minute. Um, and pressed for time, I didn't. Uh, I, I did come up with an illustration. It's at the expense of the Walker family. So sorry, Walkers. Um, kind of was hoping you wouldn't be here today, but here you are. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's not you though. It's your brother. And I, I just, I just told it the other day. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Um, so, guys. I've, I've said before, I, I worked for Todd Walker, Walker Construction, very formative year in my life. Um, it was the year that I was newly married, just graduated from college. Um, Angel would send me off each day to um, just days of adventure. <laughs> my tool belt on, just all sorts of weather conditions. I only fell off the ladder once. And that kind of stuff. So there was one day when, when work was a little uh, scarce, and uh, Mr. Walker, Todd Walker, Elder Walker, said, um, you know, you can go to my backyard and you can build a new door for this greenhouse that I have in my backyard. Have you guys ever been to the Walker house? It's fascinating. Just fascinating, right? Um, and so uh, I did a number of jobs there, but this one was just, you know, Build a door for this greenhouse. Now, you have to keep in mind, I've never built a door before in my life. I've never really built anything in my life. I've been working construction just for a few uh, short weeks. And the idea was just, you know, just look at the other one. Just kind of make one and put it on there. And here, I've given you some help. It's Brett Walker, my son. Okay, so Brett is Brooks's younger, younger brother, right? And so, at this point in time, you have to realize that I am terrified of Todd Walker. Um, you know, construction doesn't always draw the most diligent of human beings, and, and sometimes Todd would have to kind of get on everyone's case and get them back to work and doing what they need to do. And 
here I was, kind of like a real good rule follower, do what, you know, what your teacher says all the time, and, and I was just scared that he was going to yell at me. Um, and here he was telling me to work in his backyard on his house, and I've just got his son to help me. Well, it wasn't long before um, Brooks, or not Brooks, sorry, Brett, Brett was in the backyard um, using the nail gun for target practice, trying to shoot nails at the trees and through tires and things like that, leaving me to do the work, all right? And so I'm stressed out, I'm worried, I'm working on it, and I finally get something that looks like a door on the ground, right? I'm like, man, this, this might actually work. Things are starting to come together. And I get the hinges on it, and I get it hung up, and it's like hanging there. I'm like, wow, I might actually pull this off. And then Brett comes in. And Brett says, well, let's test it out. And he jumps on the door and rips it off the hinges. I'm like, well, I guess things aren't going to go as well as I hoped that they were. All right, so things looked like they were coming together, and then it all just came crashing down. Well, I think that's... Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. I think that that's a little bit how Moses and the Israelites feel moving from chapter 4 of Exodus to chapter 5 of Exodus. All right, so if you guys remember, chapter 4 ends with this. The last couple of verses of chapter 4 says, When Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And here's their big response. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And so we see at the uh, end of chapter 4, Things are looking up, right? It's looking pretty good. Israel hears that God has come down and they believe Moses and Aaron and they worship God. Things look like they're going to fall into place, but chapter 5, it all just falls apart again. So let's read chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews is met with us. Please, let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the master, taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. 
And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, and the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Well, let's begin by just kind of processing the passage out loud as you you just heard it read, and it's good to interact with it just to get our minds around it. But what's happening? Just quick summary. What's happening here? We can do this. Right. So Pharaoh's like, you got to keep up the same work, but you got to double the work now because you got to get your own straw. All right. Um, it used to be provided for them. How is Pharaoh feeling throughout this passage? Let's kind of psychoanalyze each person. How's Pharaoh feeling? Angry. What's 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 the bee in Pharaoh's bonnet? You know, I wrote that in my notes, but I didn't say it. I was like, Todd is kind of like Pharaoh in my story, but yes, yes, he is. <laughs> How is why, why is Pharaoh upset? Okay, and you have to remember that this is kind of the tried and true method of Egyptians with Israelites, right? When Israelites seem to get unruly, what do we do? We just make life harder for them. That's what the last Pharaoh did, and that's what this Pharaoh is doing. It's kind of what we do with the Israelites, all right? Okay, so Pharaoh, he, he's making life harder on them. Um, that's good. Um, how are you feeling if you're the people of Israel at this point? Sad. Yeah. Sad? Anything else? Ticked at Moses. That definitely comes out, right? So they seem to blame Moses. What, what I find is kind of interesting is these foremen, so these like Israelite leaders, go into Pharaoh, say, please stop. And Pharaoh says, no. And it says, when they come out, Aaron, Moses and Aaron were waiting for them. It, it kind of gives me this perspective, like Moses and Aaron are kind of like, oh man, like what did we do? And, and here they are like, okay, maybe you guys should go talk to Pharaoh now because he doesn't really like us very much. And he's, they send the Israelite foreman in and the, then the foreman come out and they're like, well, how'd it go, guys? Like, did, did he, what, what, did, what did Pharaoh say? Is he going to let you have straw again? And they're like, no, it's all your fault. You started this. That's how they feel. Okay. Uh, what, what about Moses? How's Moses feeling in our passage? Dejected. 
He's Why did you send me God? Yeah, he's he's majorly bummed out here. Okay? It's so, Yeah, so the problem kind of keeps moving upward, right? They, they move the problem to Moses. Moses moves the problem to God. Um, and, yeah, why have you done this? And notice he says, he, you know, uh, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So what was Moses kind of expecting? Moses was expecting immediate deliverance, and here we have hardship. So it brings us back to kind of this question, uh, title, when following, why does following God sometimes make life hard? Okay, and we're going to get to that, but first um, we're going to look uh, at the first half of the passage. So in the first half of the passage, um, I want to focus on Pharaoh, okay? And I want to focus specifically on Pharaoh's first response, okay? So look back at verse 2. Back at verse 2, Moses and Aaron, they come. The Lord, the God of Israel says, blah, 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 blah. And Pharaoh says... Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, this isn't the first time that we've been asked this question, who is the Lord? Who else has asked the question? Yeah, Moses asked it, right? So in, in chapter 3, Moses said, well, if you're going to send me, who should I tell them is sending me? Who are you, Lord? And yet, there's a big difference between what Moses is asking and what Pharaoh is asking, okay? Um, it, it's kind of like, if you guys have ever wrestled with this in the Gospels, um, both Mary and uh, Zechariah ask the angel, how is this possible? How is this going to happen when they are told that Jesus is going to be born to a virgin? And Mary receives a response from the angel, and Zechariah is made so that he can't talk until the baby is born. Why? What's up with that? Well, because they were two different questions. You know, Mary saying, well, I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? Zechariah is doubting God, okay? And so here we have the same question, but really two very different questions. Moses is asking for clarification. Who are you, Lord? Like, what's your name? There's a lot of gods here. How am I going to say that sent me? And yet, um, Pharaoh, his question is one of defiance, okay? It's defiance. It's denying that God uh, can do what he wants them to do. He, he's saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And this is the beginning of what's going to be this big power struggle throughout Exodus. Okay, so we're going to see this power struggle of my dad can beat up your dad, my God can beat up your gods. All right, we've got this struggle between Pharaoh and God, and it's just starting here. And so the question is, well, what does Pharaoh need in response to his question? Well, Pharaoh needs an answer. His, his question begs uh, a response from God. Who is this God that I should obey him? And I want you to see that the rest of the 10 plagues that are about to start, that's God answering Pharaoh's question. All right, so for... There's this phrase that comes in in chapter 6. It's, I am the Lord, okay? Um, and it's used in chapter 7 when God says this. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. In other words, 
every single plague God is about to do upon Pharaoh and Egypt and then bring his people out, it's all simply to answer Pharaoh's question. Who is this? Who is this Lord that I should obey him? And God's going to show him. You know, it's like... It's like the foolish criminal who's like, you know, getting arrested for something and they're like, who are you to arrest me? You can't, blah, blah, blah. And then they're in jail for 30 years. And you're like, well, that's who I am. I, I'm the one in charge and you're not, okay? I actually just read an article about this that a kid was, it was in Fox News and just yesterday that he, um, 18-year-old, convicted of murder and theft and blah, blah, blah. And when... Throughout the court time, he, he was laughing, and um, he was given the offer of a plea deal for 25 years in prison as opposed to 65 years. And he said, I don't have time for this. And the judge said, great, 65 years in prison. That was, he, he said, who are you? You know, who are you to do this to me? Oh, that's who he is. He's the judge. And now he has 65 years in prison instead of 25 years in prison. And so God is going to show Pharaoh who he is through the plagues. But I want us to focus on Pharaoh's defiance for a second and turn it kind of to the world around us and then into our own hearts, okay? So do we see people living in defiance of the Lord today? All right? So I'm curious. I wrote down some thoughts for myself here. But where are ways that you see in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in television, where do we see people living in defiance, living with an attitude that says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Where do we see that all around us? I mean, like the teaching of evolution, like, oh, that's how the world's created, so we yeah. So I, that was one of the ones I wrote down. So like in every single classroom where we talk about the origins of the world, the universe, of humanity... And we make no mention whatsoever of even the possibility that an intelligent designer could be behind it. Like, that it's not even thrown in in, like, one of the sections in your book as, here's one idea. It's just an absolute defiance that says, who is the Lord? We're not even going to put a section about God creating people in this book, Okay. How else do you see it? People's lifestyles and how they like act and talk, but they don't care about other people, they care about themselves. Thank you. Yeah, Joseph, exactly right. So our, our lifestyles, the way that people are living their lives, whether it's on TV or in the movies or what books we write, um, or in music videos. I mean, I, I'm thinking specifically of sexual immorality, but just thinking about flaunting that in a way that it's entertainment, that it is, it's just a complete and total rejection of God's standards that he's laid forth in his Bible of how we ought to live, right? Yeah.
Totally, yeah. So the whole like live for the moment, do whatever you want, do whatever makes you feel best, you feel happiest, denying the fact that there's an eternity afterwards. You know, we were at Barnes and Nobles the other day with our kids and walked past, they have like, they sell these old vinyl records just uh, for fun. And there was one from ACDC, Highway to Hell is what it's called. And you've got, you know, the band on the front, one of them has devil's horns drawn on them, you know. And I just look at that and my thought is, wow, like that, they just really don't believe that there's hell. You would never joke about being on the highway to hell if you really thought you were going there. And it was a real place. And, and yet God's word is clear about it. And so it's just a total act of defiance against what God says is really there, right? Okay, so we got those. There's, there's a number of other ones. I mean, um, one that I think we should say whenever we get the chance in youth group is rebelling against your parents, okay? Because that's something that is going to be a temptation for us, especially in this stage of life. That, you know, it's the, one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, um, and when we do that, when we just openly say, listen, you don't know what's best for my life. I know what's best for my life. I'm going to do what I want. That is, in essence, also saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Right? Because God has said you should honor your father and mother. Right? So it's just helpful for us to get perspective on, yeah, we have Pharaoh's heart inside of us. That we can do what Pharaoh did to God in similar ways. And that's really what sin is. Every sin that we commit is, is just saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Now, we might not actively think, well, that's not what I was thinking when I was sinning. But that doesn't get you off the hook. That that is what's behind every sinful thought and sinful action that we do. And so I'd encourage you as you go into this week... Take some time to say, Lord, how have I done that? How have I acted in defiance towards you like Pharaoh? How have I had this heart that Pharaoh has? And just a quick point on reading your Bible. When you read your Bible, that's how you ought to read your Bible. Your Bible ought to be read like a conversation. And so as you read about Pharaoh here and his defiance against God, you should then turn inward and say, God, how do I do that? And then... You should listen. You say, Lord, bring to my mind, remind me, Lord, have how I have acted in defiance towards you. Actually, let's just do it right now, okay? Um, just close your eyes, bow your head, um, and just for a few minutes of silence, just a minute of silence, we'll just say, pray to the Lord, Lord, how have I acted in defiance towards you this past week, recently? And as things come to mind, simply say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for each one of those things.
Amen. Not that I'm trying to just hammer you guys, but I just want to point out real quick. I recognize there may have been the temptation to say in your head, this is awkward, this is silly, I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do this. Just recognize that is also an act of defiance, okay? So like, even if, if that was your response in that minute, that too just goes to show, yep, I've got defiance in my heart. I defy the Lord that I should obey him, okay? Well, let's look at the second half here. And, and um, So that first half we said, Pharaoh, he defies the Lord. And what Pharaoh needs is for the Lord to show him who he is. And God is going to do that in ways that Pharaoh is not going to like, okay? But then we get to the second half, and we've got this long conversation between, um, we've got Pharaoh, we've got the Egyptian guys who are under Pharaoh, and then we've got the Israelite foremen, which are these guys that they've chosen to be over groups of slaves, probably, something like that, and they communicate kind of in that chain of command, right? And turns out that they've been given really an impossible task, it's impossible for them to get the straw and make the same number of bricks. It's impossible. And the foremen, they're getting beaten for not doing it. And yet they just recognize, like, no amount of beating me is going to make us get this done. It's just an impossible task. And so they go to Pharaoh and, and plead their case. And Pharaoh has no mercy. Notice he says in verse 17, you are idle. You are idle. He says it twice just to emphasize you are lazy slaves, and that's why you're saying, let me go to the wilderness to worship my God. Okay? My translation uses the word slackers. Slackers, nice. You are slackers. Very good. Um, well, after we read the end of chapter 4, are we kind of surprised by chapter 5? Do you think Israel was surprised by chapter 5? Right, so things, you know, God has finally come down, things look good, um, and so we're going to discuss that in this part. But first, um, how do the Israelites respond to their new situation? What do we see their response? Yeah, so they blame Moses, they're, they're complaining, they're upset, they're whining. Are they kind of turning to the Lord in faith? Not really? Okay, good. And how does Moses respond? We already said this. He just sends it upward to God, right? Blaming, complaining, God, what's going on? Um, and, and so I want to observe what this shows about both Israel and Moses. Both Israel and Moses, they, they presume that a good God would not let dangerous or harmful events continue to happen to, to his people. Right? They thought, God, you said you were coming down, you're going to fix this problem, and yet it's getting worse. And it raises what? It raises questions. It raises doubts. It raises um, complaints out of them. We see in Moses, just in what he prays, that he totally expected, okay, God, I'll do your job. I'm going to go over there. He's totally expecting that he's just kind of, kind of walk in and walk out like a revolving door. I'm going to walk in, get the Israelites, and then we're going to walk out. It's all going to be done. But that's not how God does it. And I think it's interesting to see that Moses, remember that Moses writes Exodus. So whenever you read something that kind of looks bad on Moses, notice that Moses is writing it. He, he wants us to know that he was not perfect. And actually, one of the comments that's written at the end of Deuteronomy is that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's one of the things that we actually don't think Moses wrote. 
right? This would be kind of weird, right? Um, so you think that someone actually came, you know, at the end and added a few comments at the end of Deuteronomy about Moses. It also says, and then Moses died. We don't think Moses wrote that part either. Um, right? And then, Mo- kind of like the pen goes off the end of the page. You know? <laughs> yes, got it. <laughs> so, no, so, so there's a few parts that we, you know, acknowledge that were written by other people. Um, but Moses is most likely writing this part and what's interesting, I think, is that, you know, when we read about the Israelites all throughout the wilderness wanderings, and they're just impatient with God, they're impatient with, get us to the promised land, things aren't the way we thought they would be, Moses right here is basically saying, and I was the same. I was the same as all of them. I was impatient with God. I didn't recognize God's plan. I wanted a quick deliverance. He's confessing that to us. Um, but what about God? What do we learn about God here? Is God's plan failing? Is this kind of like the epic downfall of like God had a big plan in chapter 3 and 4 and it just didn't work? Well, no, because we have chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 and following, right? So we, so we know God's plan is going to work. But we actually know in chapters 3 and 4 that this shouldn't catch us off guard. Why is that? Has God given us a hint that this might happen? Yeah, so chapter 3, verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So he, he, told, Pharaoh, he told Moses at the beginning, I'm going to send you in there. He's not going to let you go. He's going to need some work. And chapter 4, verse 21, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Okay, so Moses has been given an indication that, yeah, it's not going to just be all... Uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk here, all right? It's going to be a little challenging. But he didn't give Moses all the details, and I don't know if you can relate to that. Like, we read a lot in the Bible about what the Christian life is like and what our faith is going to produce in us and, and how life is going to be. But boy, there's a lot of details that God didn't fill in for us as to how it's exactly going to go for each and every one of us. And you can see that Moses is in the same situation. Um... So the question is why? Why does God allow it to get harder before it gets better? Because God is going to liberate Israel. Did Moses disobey God? Is this punishment to Moses? No, Moses said actually verbatim pretty much what God told him to say. Did the Israelites sin in some way? No, text doesn't tell us anything about Israel doing anything wrong. So why does God, uh, why does following God's plans make life harder for Moses and Israel? Why does God let things get worse before they get better? And before we do that, let's connect the dots to our own lives. Does doing God's will always make our lives easier or does it sometimes make our lives harder? Okay. If you, you know, go to a school where people cheat sometimes and get full credit for their homework that they copied during the lunch hour and you don't and you get a lower grade and they get a higher grade and they get into that college and you don't get into that college and, you know, the dominoes keep falling, Life is harder sometimes when we do what God wants us to do. Okay, so yeah, we should be able to relate to that. Can you think of anyone in, uh, who when they came to faith in Jesus, their lives got harder and not easier? This is, this is an important point because sometimes like when we go to Slovenia uh, or when we share the gospel with a friend, we say something like, follow Jesus and it'll be so much better. We shouldn't say that. It's not what Jesus promises us, that like, if you follow me, all your problems will go away. That's not what he's promising. 
He's saying it'll be worth it. But sometimes suffering comes immediately on the heels of choosing to give your life to Christ. I mean, people live in some countries where persecution and rejection and death face them for saying, I choose to follow Jesus. Okay, so it can't be that just following God makes your life better. So I imagine that you have done things that make your life harder when you've chosen to follow God's ways. Um, And maybe you're in a season right now where that's the case. Maybe you're in a season right now where just life is hard. And you're wondering, how does God want me to react right now? And is it because I've done something wrong? Is he punishing me in some way? Is there, is there something I, uh, a problem here? Well, let's just examine this question. Why does God let us go through hard times like these? The first thing I want to do is ask the question, do our hardships mean that God is absent or not working in our lives anymore? Well, let's just, we just need to look at one person to examine that. That's Joseph. Joseph had a pretty rough life, Right? Brothers didn't like him, threw him in a well, sold him into slavery. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's put into uh, jail for years and years. And here's how he ends his life, by saying this. As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. All right, so you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph gives us that perspective so that we can have that same perspective when life is hard. Even when life is hard, God can still be doing something good, okay? The second thing we should see is this. What did we say Pharaoh needed to correct his defiance against God? Well, he needed a bigger view of God. He needed to know who God was. But he's not the only one in this story who needs to get to know who God is. Moses and the Israelites have a lot of learning to do. They have a lot of learning to do to figure out who this God is. And God is beginning to work out who he is for them, not in spite of their hardships, but in the midst of their hardships. It's in the suffering and hardships that they're going through that God is going to teach them just who he is. Because how powerful of a God do you need to walk into Egypt and say, Pharaoh, I'd like to take the Israelites out. And Pharaoh says, you know, he's just like, a total pushover. Like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, let him go. Like, wow, that was easy. Why didn't we ask sooner? <laughs> you know? But in a sense, by God showing the hardness of Pharaoh, no way. And by the way, it's going to get a lot worse for you because you asked. God's going to show his power, not just to Pharaoh, but to Israel in the way that he goes on to deliver them. And we see this being worked out in Paul's life. In Paul's life, Paul has this hard experience and he he calls it a thorn in the flesh given to him by God. He calls it a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. God gave me this and I asked God to take it away. Three times I asked God to take it away, but here's what he said. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what happens when Paul is in a hard part in life is he goes to God and says, please take it away. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And it causes Paul to go towards God and not away from him. And that's what God is doing for Israel. He's letting life get hard so that they will move towards him 
not away from him. And that's exactly what we see Moses doing. So while Moses may sound kind of whiny and complaining, he's actually doing exactly what he should be doing. Going to God and saying, God, only you can solve this problem. And that's what Moses needed to hear and that's what he needed to do. Um, And so it's the same thing for us. God lets us go through hard times. And we ought to respond in the same way. We ought to go towards God and not away from him. So let's end with a quick look inward. What kind of a Christian are you? Do you worship God when God promises you good things, but do you become bitter and a doubting complainer when you don't get them right away? Okay, is that the level of faith that we have in God, that we'll worship him when things look good, but then things look bad and we doubt and we complain? Do we criticize God when we don't get what we want when we want it? Do our actions show that we would rather have Christ's blessings than have Christ? What we should learn from Moses and the Israelites is that when we are in hardship, it ought to drive us towards God and not away from him. And so the way that we correct these types of attitudes is we look at the greatest evil that was ever committed on the face of the earth. We look at the death and shaming and torture of God's son. The greatest evil ever committed on the face of the earth. And we see what came out of it. The greatest good that ever happened on the face of the earth. Salvation for sinners. And we see that when hardship comes we shouldn't necessarily draw the conclusion that God is absent, that he doesn't love us, that he doesn't care about us, but it ought to cause us to run to the God who is able to bring about good out of evil, just like he did for Joseph, just like he does for Paul, just like he did in Christ. And remember, as we do that, that his grace is sufficient for you, for his power is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for these students. This is a powerful concept to take with us into this week as we face hardships and persecutions and difficulties in life, whether it's just aging and growing up or persecution at the hands of people at our school or our neighborhood, um, rejection from colleges, rejection from friends. God, life can be so hard and harsh and cruel. Help us to let it enlarge our view of you. Help it to cause us to go to you and to pray and to face you in it and not to do what Pharaoh does in defying you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.